Amen, amen. So we're going to have, I've got a really hard conversation. I think here's a, was it last week or the week before that we, you, you preached a message, Pastor Tommy, it was uh, hypocrites are, are hard topics, right? It, two weeks, yeah, I thought so. And uh, so it, it got me thinking, and, and you know, there's a lot of things that we, talk, we discuss at church that, that we can't necessarily discuss in the workplace. You know, me coming out of the corporate world, I worked for, for 20 plus years in, in the corporate world, and, and even working in sales, I'd go into customers' offices, and there was they told me we could talk about all kinds of stuff. We could talk about hunting. We could talk about fishing. We could talk about motorcycle riding. I could talk about cooking. And that was probably one of my favorite subjects was cooking. I don't know why, but you get some bunch of guys gathered around. And it's like we can be at lunch eating, and we're going to start talking about food. I don't know if that's something to do with just the Cajun culture. But there was two things that they told me, Joe, you cannot talk about these two things. You, you may know what they are, right? One of them was religion and politics. Don't talk about religion and politics at work. Well, we're at church. So we're going to talk a little bit about religion, if that's okay. That's just kind of the, the thought process for today. Uh, we'll leave the politics to the politicians. Is that all right? Praise God. So what, what, what the topic for today, we're going to talk about, is it religiousness or is it righteousness? And you know, you see here that although they're, they're black and white up here, how many of you realize that religiousness and righteousness isn't always simply black and white, is it? It's not always black and white. Many times uh, we have these religious traditions that we partake in and they kind of get a little cloudy as to where they came from or what's their purpose or what kind of fruit are they really bringing into our lives. And there's even a, in our culture today, we've kind of thrown out this term religion as a negative term. Like I'm not religious, right? I'm not really religious. I'm a Christian, right? Well, I mean... Yeah, that's, a, that's okay to say. I understand what you're trying to say, but the reality of it is that maybe there is a little bit of religion there that we need to pay attention. As a matter of fact, God specifically said, he gave us some specific instructions of what does religion look like. It's not necessarily a bad term. It's just maybe we have some misunderstandings. If I asked each and every one of you here today, what does religion mean to you? Uh, I would probably, I don't know how many people are here, but I'd probably get that many different answers. As a matter of fact, people ask, well, what religion are you? Well, I'm all with the assemblies of God. Well, okay, I'm with, the, I'm a Baptist. Well, okay. I, so we have some different, some confusing ideas. Like I said, it's not always just, just black and white. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bible. If you have a Bible, uh, I want you to just get that out. If you have your electronic device, I have both. I have an electronic device and a Bible. So uh, one of them is in case the other one doesn't work. And I know which one works all the time. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and write in the, uh, in the chair front, probably in front of you or close to in front of you. Um, you'll find one there. And if, as uh, Pastor Tommy likes to say, those are, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, just go ahead and feel free to take that home with you and receive that as a gift from us. We just feel like that's a, that's a valuable investment into your life because it becomes a valuable investment into the lives of everybody you come in contact with. So everybody look, we're going to be in James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 26 and 27. I'm just going to go ahead and, and read that. It says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. He goes on to say that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You see, 
James is pretty clear. He didn't say that, look, there's a religious, this religious stuff. Get all away from that, you know. He just brings a little bit of clarity. In fact, he says that, that if there's anyone who says that they're religious, but does not bridle their tongue, then that person's religious religion is useless. He doesn't necessarily say that that, that person's religion is, uh, doesn't exist. He says it's useless. He said, because what happens, and I'm going to quote uh, Bobby through, through Pastor Tommy. It's kind of like this. He says that if you don't bridle your tongue, then your religion's useless. You see, because at the end of the day, how's it go? At the end of the day, when everything is said and done, there's usually more said than done, right? Man, that's a, that's a great saying. Because religion has the ability to make us talk a lot. It has this ability to make us get into arguments and, and conversations about how we believe or what we believe about that. But, at the, but, but really, the, the purpose of religion and the purpose of, a, of the gospel isn't just so that way we can always be right. Isn't always just so that way we can just have our own way of doing things. This is how we worship. This is how we believe. Although those things are fine, and we do have a way that we believe, we do have a way that we worship. But if all we're doing is talking about it, it's not very, to very much use. Think about that term, to bridle the tongue. That term there being, so what do you bridle? Bridle the tongue, you put a bit in a horse's mouth, right? And then what happens? Well, that horse can't, it can't speak anymore. Of course, I don't know, unless you watched Mr. Ed growing up, I don't, I'm pretty sure that horses can't really talk. I didn't spend a lot of time around horses, so, uh, but I'm pretty sure horses couldn't talk. But, but if we put a bridle in our own mouths, spiritually speaking, what does that do? That bridle does what to the horse? It activates it. It says it makes it useful for a, a, sp- a specific job or a specific task, right? You're not just going to get on a horse and try to get it to go and plow a field. It's not going to be obedient to you. In the same way, if our religion is just mouth talk, then it's pretty much useless. It has no direction. It has no purpose. It's just simply we're talking to ourselves. You know, the fact is, is that we, we gather here every Sundays, Wednesdays, we do a lot of things. But this church is, has a history and heritage of being useful in the community. In fact, we host many times the Chamber of Commerce, and we do things with the city, and we pray at most business uh, ribbon cuttings. Why is that? Because our religion isn't just about staying here between these four walls, but about getting out into the community. It's about reaching the, the people in the Lafayette Parish Correctional Center, or the, the students in Ernest Gallet Elementary, and the schools all around in Youngsville. James' point is not simply to say that our religion is useless. He's saying that without use, our religion becomes useless. In fact, he says it at other places in James. He says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. In fact, in, in another spot right here in the book of James, he says that, that you show me your faith, and I'll show you my faith by what? By my works. Faith isn't just about, our religion just isn't about speaking or understanding, but it's about, it's an active activity that we do every day. And everything that we do in the Lord has a specific outcome. Whether your religion involves praying or whether it involves involves lifting your hands or whether it involves worship or if it involves fasting, if it involves all these things, we're going to do communion and praise God, we're going to have a water baptism right here today. Amen? Now that's exciting. That's exciting. We do all these things because they have a specific outcome. That it's just not mouth talk. But James goes on to say, you know, he talks about the tongue. He talks about bridling it. 
But he goes on to say this. He says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. And then in my Bible, I've got a a colon. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to pay attention to what's coming next. Because he's saying, hey, this is, this is, you know, if you have this religion and if it's just a bunch of mouth talk, then it's, it's kind of useless. But the real religion that, you, that we really want to look at is this. I'm paying attention at this point. Colin, Joe's paying attention. He says, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, it was on a, I was on a hiking trip maybe uh, in uh, actually January 22nd, 2017. And... Uh, we were on the Cossatot River. David, you might remember that trip. And uh, we, were, we were out in the middle of the woods. I was next to a river, and I was like, God, you just got to speak to me. We were, we were kind of in the, the early phases of this transition, and I'm like, God, I need some clarity, some understanding. You know, what would you have me to do? Just looking for the purposes of God. And I find that, that hiking trips in the middle of the woods where nobody is, and I'm in a one-man tent all by myself, that's absolute, well, just about absolute seclusion. God has the ability to finally speak to me because I can slow down enough. At 2.55 a.m., and God wakes me up with a clear word. I mean, when you're in the middle of the woods at 2.55 a.m., and it's like, I need some paper because I don't want to lose this. Listen, I mean, just a kind of a side note. Uh, Many times, God speaks to us in our dreams. He speaks to us in in the nighttime because that's really the only time we slow down enough for him to say anything. And uh, I've been guilty more than once to uh, God will speak something. I'm like, God, this is so profound, man. This is awesome. I'm going to go to sleep and write it down when I wake up. Y'all, have anybody ever done that? You wake up and like, uh, now what was that again, God? He's like, <laughs> but God woke me up and he began to give me some specific, a specific word that I believe fits right into this new season, where we're going at today. And in our world where, 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 where churches are actually under attack, the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. You know, our churches are under attack, and we're, and we're actually kind of ha- have an internal turmoil because, because we're, we're battling against the very religion, the very things that we, that we don't understand necessarily, that necessarily aren't black and white. But it's a lot more simple. I've, I've figured this out, that, that life and things that go on and things that people do are most of the time way more simple than I think they are. I have a tendency to just to complicate things. James says here, he says, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Now, that's, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So that's a very practical thing to do. We go find some widows. We go find some orphans. We go visit them. Awesome. That's not very much revelation. I mean, it's pretty much that is in black and white. But what God spoke to me that night was that he says, Joe, you've got to take your, uh, your practical glasses off and put your spiritual glasses on. He said there's a lot more to widows and orphans than just simply being a widow and an orphan. He says, as a matter of fact, Joe, you were at one time a widow. You were at one time an orphan, and I'll explain this to you very soon. Many of you heard the story of Ruth in the Bible. It's the Old Testament, a whole book, and I'm not going to read the whole book. I'll try to paraphrase and get the idea across to you. The story of Ruth is a profound story. And as a matter of fact, you can find Ruth in, in the book of Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to go there in just a minute as well. But Ruth is a story of a woman uh, who was a Moabitess. She was from the, the nation of Moab. And there was, a, there was a, a woman named Naomi and her husband, Elimelech. Elimelech, Elimelech, anyway. 
<laughs> That's how I remember that one. So just a little, little uh, word there if you, just, if, you need, if you have trouble remembering that. So Naomi and Elimelech. So they, they were from, from the little town of Bethlehem. Many of you are familiar with Bethlehem. Uh, and and they, there was a famine in the land. They go off into the land of Moab with the, them and their two sons. And the two sons, of course, they, they see these, these women and they meet uh, Ruth and her sister. And it, there was, a, there was a, a time whenever Ruth's or Naomi's two sons, they, they die. And, then, so it leaves Na- and her husband dies. So it leaves Naomi and her two daughters-in-law there in a foreign land. They have no sustenance. They have no provision. They have nobody to look after them. There's simply three women with, with, no, with no way to, to get home, but well, with no way to provide for themselves in a foreign land. So Naomi, being the, she says, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back home to where I know people know me, and maybe I'll try to find some provision. And of course, Ruth says, Naomi, wherever you go, I go. As a matter of fact, she says it just like that. Where you go, I'll go. We sing that song. Where you stay, I'll stay. I'm with you always. I give myself to you. And Naomi says, I'm old. I mean, I'm not going to have another son for you to marry. As a matter of fact, if I have a son for you to marry, it's going to be like 18 years before he's old enough for you to marry. Then you're going to be old, and he's not going to be interested. Why are you coming with me? Because Ruth says, I'm going to stay with you all the time. And Ruth goes, and they go back to the land right there in in Bethlehem. and, And she begins to put her hands to the work, right? She just begins to do what she knows how to do. And she, be, she begins to go out into the fields. And, and af, after the, the, the harvest would be had, and she would go and, and just into the corners of the field and everywhere she could and just pick up grain. And she was noticed by a man there named Boaz. And Boaz, in fact, was, was the, the brother to Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Right? Boaz. I don't have a song for Boaz. I'm just going to have to remember that one. So... So Boaz is, is what we would consider Ruth's kinsman redeemer. You see, at that time, Ruth was just a foreigner. She had nobody there in the land to take care of her. She had no inheritance. All she had was just her hard work. She was toiling in the fields, working every day. And she found favor in the sight of Boaz. If you look in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13... It says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. If you flip to the back of Ruth, of course, you can see the rest of the story. So, not only did, did Ruth, through her obedience to her mother in law give the ability of sustenance, give the ability for her to be brought back into the house of Israel, be the, and have an inheritance and have a redemption, but in fact, she played a key part in our own story, every single one of ours. And, re- and redeemed not only her own livelihood, but her family line. And brought on an, a, a, a continual inheritance to the nation of Israel. You see, I said that Ruth was mentioned in the book of Matthew. I'm just going to turn there. Matthew 
and, and let you get, just give you a little perspective, as many of you probably are already aware. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, skip down to verse 5, but it, it goes through the genealogy of, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and Perez, and Zerah, Tamar, and so forth and so on, until we get to Salmon, who begot Boaz. By Rahab, of course, that's another interesting story. And then Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. You see, the son that Ruth had, his name was, became Obed right there in the, in the little town of Bethlehem. And why is Bethlehem so familiar? Because Obed begot Jesse. And many of you know Jesse as the father of David, who became the king later of Israel, whose lineage points directly to none other than Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. You see, we have an image here of a widow who, who was obedient to her calling, obedient to her purpose, obedient to her, her stance in life, and God redeemed her through the line of, of Abraham, through the line of David, and she brought redemption to her people. Again, we see another story in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, 6 through 7, and many of you know the story of Abraham. And, of course, Abraham was kind of before the law. As a matter of fact, it would be said that, you know, we're talking about religiousness or righteousness. Abraham was the first man who, I mean, he came into the to fold of godliness, but he didn't necessarily have a religion. God called him straight out of the land of the Chaldeans, the land of Ur, and he followed his father, Tamar, into, into, um, into the promised land, and his father dies, and Abraham's stuck there, and, he's, and, and God's speaking to him in, in specific ways, and Abraham believed God. He didn't go running back to where he came from. He believed God right where he was. You see, Abraham was the father of our faith, or the, follow, the father of the Jewish faith. In Genesis 15, 6, it says, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who bought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. You see, God gave Abraham an inheritance in the land of, there of Canaan. Not because of his rich religious traditions. Not because of all the religious things that he did and he implemented. As a matter of fact, that was even before the, the, the activity of circumcision was established. And then after this, it wasn't even just an inheritance that, that was promised to Abraham, but that inheritance was sealed by blood through sacrifice that day as an eternal promise into the lineage of Abraham. So how does that relate then to James chapter 1, verse 27? You see, there on that day I realized that although it is a good thing to take care of widows and orphans, but that, that's the practical side of it. But God began to speak to me about that widows is, is something that's more than just a woman or a man who's lost their spouse. But as we just sang about today, we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, but yet he gave himself away. That, that widows is a spiritual condition. That's, that's saying that we were, who once were born in provision, there in the garden, if you take our lineage all the way back to Adam, we came into this world, God created humanity, and we lost our father. That widows encompasses everybody. Every single one of us, as we lost our provision, as we lost our, our way, as we lost our, 
or inheritance. A widow is a person who has no redeemer, just like Ruth had no redeemer. But it wasn't an eternal condition. That an orphan that we're to care for isn't just a, a, someone who just was born and their parents happened to pass away or, or, or have no parents or who were left to adoption. An orphan just isn't just a, a practical condition, but it's a spiritual condition. That every one of us, in a sense, are orphans. In fact, in some of your translations, it doesn't use the term orphans. It says the fatherless. I remember just, it seems like not so long ago, that I, I felt fatherless. Although I had a father, and he loved me, and he cared for me, and he took care of me. But I, I just, I lacked this, I had this hole, this, this just gaping hole in my, in my inner man. That I felt fatherless. I felt like I had no inheritance. But could you see, someone without a father has no inheritance. And, and especially in this, the, the ancient Jewish culture, that's where the inheritance came from, was through the father. As a matter of fact, that's why it, Jacob and Esau, they got so mad. Esau got so mad at Jacob because, because uh, Isaac blessed Jacob instead of Esau. And he stole his inheritance because that lineage was passed down. But we have this ability through Jesus Christ. As he came to this earth 2,000 years ago to be our Lord and our Savior. That through Christ we have a Redeemer. Through Christ we have an inheritance. And nothing that can be taken from any man. Nothing that can be taken from anyone. But it's given to us freely. Like David, we just sang here this morning that we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He gave it freely. All we have to do is redeem it. And we have the internal, the eternal inheritance of Jesus Christ. So what's the point of all this, you may be asking? You know, we're supposed to be more religious. I mean, how does this religious aspect fall into it? I think that, that religion's a great thing. You know, I, I know that in our culture, there's a lot of people, you can go on Facebook, Instagram, all the social things, and you'll see blogs of people saying why it's not a good idea to be religious. How religion's this, religion's bad, all these other things. But religion gives us the ability to do, overcome some things when we understand it in its proper place, in its proper context. Because I want you to realize that caring for widows and orphans or caring for, for the fatherless or caring for those who have need of a, redeem, a redeemer, for caring for the lost, for the hurting, is risky business. It's risky business. You know, we come here and we go through our, our rituals. I mean, we're not really a ritualistic church. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> But it's time that we have to realize that just coming here isn't good enough. As a matter of fact, it's just become, it has the ability just to become talk and useless. Because we're not having an impact on the world that Jesus came for us to save. Or came for him to save through us, rather. That we need to be a, a willing and, and able to go to, these, to the lost, to the hurting we need to bring strength to those who are weak. We need to bring comfort to those who are struggling. That we need to be a friend of those who, who need relationship. That we need to be a voice of faith to those who may have gone astray. But it's risky business. I've seen many people who, who make an attempt to go and help other people and they end up falling in the trap, that they, that those, that the very trap they were trying to help somebody out of. Whatever that trap may be. 
So I want to read verse uh, 27 one more time. It says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You see, it's that very religion, it's these very things. As we come here, we have the ability to, to do these ceremonial things and to, to partake of communion uh, and, to, and to, to be a part of water baptisms, to sing the songs, to do the worship, to pray, that helps us remain unspotted from the world. The revelation I had here this morning was this. That Jesus Christ, as he came into this earth to be our redeemer for our inheritance. That way we can have an eternal inheritance in heaven. It was risky business for him. You know, in fact, if you look at the Pharisees of his time and even a lot of the religious works of this time, religion being unspotted from the world is simply that we have, keep our hands clean, right? As a matter of fact, in, in a lot of places, there's ceremonial cleaning that we do. That was part, a huge part of the Jewish tradition. And those things are important. But Jesus, he kind of turned things upside down. I mean, I would say so. As a matter of fact, that was kind of Paul's motivation. He would go into a place and he didn't try to make his church or his religion or his thought process. He didn't try to make Jesus fit into the everyday affairs of the, the cities he went into. But in fact, was accused many times that he's, Paul, this, 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 this gospel that Paul is teaching, he's turning the city upside down. I mean, he's putting all of our law enforcement out of business. He, he, he's, he's all of all the, the idols and the things that people do to their gods, they're going out of business. You've got to do something about this, Paul. This gospel that he's preaching is powerful. That same gospel that Paul preached is the same gospel that we preach here from this church in the city of Youngsville and Lafayette and throughout all of Louisiana. That we have the ability as the church not just to keep our hands clean ceremonially, but to get our hands dirty effectively in our communities. I was thinking about Thomas, and Thomas, when he said, y'all remember Thomas, uh, I'm not going to use the, the, the doubting term for the sake of Pastor Tommy. <laughs> but Thomas, Thomas, the evidence that he wanted to see from Jesus wasn't his clean hands, was it? He said, I want to see the nail-scarred hands of my Savior. You know, it's a, it's a great conundrum. That Jesus, in his greatest act, religious act of all of humanity, ever in the history of humanity, the most religious thing ever to take place, happened on a cross in Calvary. And I just begin to get an image of Jesus' hands at that time that were filthy and full of splinters from carrying that heavy beam. That were covered in the blood of that... From the, from the thorns that were pierced into his head and began to run down his body and onto his arms. And those hands that were calloused from years of working with his father there as a carpenter. They were hardened. They were strengthened. And on the cross, they were pierced. But yet, in all of that, they were perfectly clean. You know, it's interesting how the church has the ability to go into places that nobody else can, can go into and not be affected by it. I mean, I think it says in the New Testament that, that we're to be uh, in this world, but not of this world. That we have the ability to go into work and do things amongst, amongst drug dealers, amongst prostitutes, amongst alcoholics, 
amongst the lost, amongst... I've seen, I've seen ministers go into to the deepest part of gangs and come out better than they went in. And bringing out and saving and bringing change and having effect in that. So I'm here to say that it's not necessarily an act, a, a concept of is it religiousness or righteousness. But our church, I mean, our faith has the ability and our religion has the ability to bring forth and activate our righteousness. Our righteousness has the ability to activate our religion. You see, Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. Jesus Christ is our inheritance. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness who reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to redeem the world. And there's many of you here that have, have, have taken part of that redeeming factor. That I myself have taken part of that redemption. That I was lost and I was lonely. I, was, I mean, I was homeless and depressed. But God took me from that and brought me into a place of promise. He brought me into a place of strength, a place of knowledge, a place of learning, a place of comfort, a place of peace. And he did that through the church. That the church is the vessel of the living Savior. So I want to encourage you that today that we can get out of these four walls. You know, I, I know that, that people say that religion tries to put God in a box, right? Let me tell you, there's nothing that man can do to put God in a box, okay? That's a little bit of high thinking. Man tried to put God on a cross. Come on, but he said he went there willingly. He said, it's not, you didn't take my life, but I freely give it to you. Because I want to give you that redemption ticket. I, we, we went here just this uh, past weekend uh, to a, an event. My grandmother turned 80 years old. So we had a big birthday party, and they handed out tickets to everybody for door prizes, right? So we call in the numbers. And look, all you got to do to get that jar of jelly <laughs> is have a number on your redemption ticket. Right? You didn't do nothing to deserve it except showed up. Jesus Christ is our redemption. Amen? Jesus Christ is our inheritance. Man, what a powerful inheritance that we have. It has the ability to change the world if we're willing to walk it out. So I want to encourage you just to bridle our tongues, right? I'm not saying, hey, we, we've got to talk about it, but sometimes we've just got to do something about it. Amen? As we hear, we hear the horrors of school shootings and church shootings, airplane crashes, you know, in China there was, a, I mean, just the horrors of this world. We could get on, on our social medias and, and just blast this and blast that or say this and say that. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, right, it seems like there's just more said than done. I'm ready to do something. I'm ready to do something. Not that I haven't been. But I feel like it's important for me to say it. Because many times a commitment begins by just confessing that commitment. And here today we have a wonderful example of redemption. A wonderful example of inheritance. 
as we just get ready to, to move into a time of, of baptism. Let me just read one scripture out of the book of Romans. Romans 6, 4 through 6. It says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in newness of life. Come on, we walk in newness of life. Well, we walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Think about that term. Man, I don't walk in the likeness of his death. I walk in the likeness of his resurrection. Made new through Christ. It's not, it's not, Christ who li- it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I'm transformed. I'm a new creation through Christ. It says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Here today, I've redeemed, I've I've claimed my redemption ticket. Amen. Just like at the Chuck E. Cheese, you go play the games, you get the tickets, you got to go to the counter, and you can get your thing. I want you to know that God's got so much more than Chuck E. Cheese. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why is that? Because that's the whole concept of redemption. It's saying so. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. We walk in that newness of life. But we walk righteously through Christ. Amen. So here today, before we get ready to prepare for baptism, here's the question. Is your life redeemed before the Lord? Have you made that, that, that statement and said, I am redeemed? As a matter of fact, can we just make that statement together? I'm redeemed. Come on, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. Lord, you're my redeemer. I give my life to you for an eternal inheritance. Amen. Well, right now, we're going to be able to have an opportunity just to walk out that and see that firsthand here today in this service. That we have a, uh, someone who wants to get, get baptized. And Patricia, if you want to go ahead and make your way, we can begin to just get ready for that time, Pastor Tommy. You know, it says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb the word of our testimonies. And as they're preparing themselves for baptism, you know, Patricia was kind enough just to share a few minutes of her testimony with us. A testimony of redemption and a testimony of inheritance. So, Wes, if you want to make sure we got some sound. So, it was Valentine's Day of 2017. And Lamar had already given me my Valentine's Day gifts. And he said, hang on a minute, I've got one more present for you. And I was all excited, you know, thinking, oh, I'm getting jewelry or, you know, it's going to be great because he was so excited. And he came up and on the table he laid this box. And I looked down at the box and opened the box and there was this Bible. And I thought, why is he giving me a Bible? He's lost his mom. I don't go to church. I go to church. It's going to cave in around me. It's going to catch on fire. All the things I've done, now what? But my life was spinning out of control. And I used to have physical shakes 
all day, every day. My whole body would quiver and shake. And I would pray to God to just put me out of my misery. And one day, I was sitting on the back porch in my rocking chair where I always sit. And I was rocking and I was shaking so bad I couldn't take it. I just couldn't take it anymore. And I went in the house to self-medicate, of course, because I would do anything to make the shakes go away. And I picked up that Bible and I started to read that Bible. And the more I read the Bible every day, the less I shook, the calmer I became. I had a friend who was a Christian who had invited me to church. I was like, you're never going to get me to go to church. I'm going to go horseback riding with you anytime you want, but I am not going to church. I'm the girl that sits in the back row and cries the whole time. I'm not going to church. And I text her. And I was like, I want to get saved, but I don't know what to do. And she texts me the prayer of salvation. And sitting on the back porch, I prayed that prayer probably two dozen times, making sure I got it right, because I didn't want to get it wrong. And then from that point on, I was just so hungry and thirsty for the Word that I just read and read and read all day, every day. I got a different Bible that was a study Bible so I could learn more, I could understand more. And everything in my life started to change. My relationship with my husband started to change. My relationship with my daughter started to change. I developed a conscience that I had never had before. Because like I've told Shannon before, I've broken all 10 of the commandments more than once. And I knew that from getting saved, the next step was to get baptized. So I set out on a mission to find a church home where I could get baptized. And I visited a few churches and I just didn't feel comfortable. I didn't, nobody spoke to us. We left, I I left feeling deflated. And someone told me about First Assembly and I walked through those doors and Lamar elbowed me and said, look at my arms. And the hair was standing up on his arms and he had goosebumps all over. I'm in tears during the praise of worship. And I went to the welcome center in the back because I wanted to fill out the paperwork to get baptized. And I met Sarah and Sean, and they were awesome and welcoming. And Miss Margaret was amazing, and she invited me to the Christmas party where I met Shannon, who just accepted me. I walked in, I said, am I in the right place? And she's like, you're in the right place. And little did I know how much I was in the right place. What does baptism mean to you? For me, it is because I've been struggling with the old me and repentance. And I still struggle with the things that I did in the past. And I'm ready to put those things behind me and to acknowledge the fact that I've been washed in the blood of Jesus from the top of my head to the bottom of my souls. And I want that old person, I want to signify and declare to everyone that that old person is dead 
and that I'm a new person in Christ and that I'm ready to live my life on a righteous path and to hold on to God with all I have. Anybody can say amen to that. Come on, give God praise.